0: All right, guys, the insane game of 4D chess that may well get us all killed continues. What I'm including this week as episode 132 of the Scottish Liberty podcast is the first episode of the Scottish Liberty newscast from KA Radio. Now, I've been told by the boss that they are a radio station, And I can't go syndicating every show that we do out onto this podcast because, well, it takes traffic away from the radio channel. So that makes sense. But I'm letting you know that this exists and that you might like it. This one in particular, because it's on foreign policy and we've not done that for a while. I'll add a playlist to the Scottish Liberty Podcast YouTube channel so you know where to find them all, they'll link to KA Radio's video resources until there's a podcast feed up for Scottish Liberty Newscast. Because our news shows do about a third less well with our audience on this feed as our shows with guests and when we do a deep dive on a topic, we thought it might be fun to keep them separate, mix it up a little bit, so I really hope you enjoy the first episode of the Scottish Liberty Newscast from KA Radio.
1: Good evening, or whatever time of day it might be where you're listening. This is Tom Laird of the Scottish Liberty Podcast, now broadcasting on KA Radio to you all with my co-host as always, Anthony Samaroff. How have you been, Anthony?
2: Yeah, it's been a good week. I'm working hard, but you know who's always working hard? at destroying our liberty. Uh, the government. <laughs> Indeed. And we're going to talk about a little bit about uh, how the, the government is putting us in jeopardy by meddling across the world, I believe, and you've got a great news
1: story on that. Well, uh, it's, a, it's a news story of sorts. If it's not a, a, a news story in the mainstream media, it certainly should be. Uh, it concerns our favourite Neocon and Ned Flanders lookalike, alike uh, National Security Advisor to Donald Trump, John Bolton. Um, not to be confused with Michael with Bolton. With Michael Bolton, no. Yeah, I'll leave it to our audience to decide which one's worse. Um, although I believe, with all the horrors that Michael Bolton has inflicted upon the world, I don't think he's ever... Uh, started a war, but uh, I'm I'm open to uh, persuasion in that one. If anybody knows of any instance in which Michael Bolton has started a war, (laughs) maybe even within a family or domestic context, would be interested to hear about it. Um, However, John Bolton, as we know, you and I expressed grave concern and um, some bewilderment at the appointment of John Bolton as Donald Trump's National Security Advisor because he is the war hawk of war hawks. This is a guy who is still vehemently unapologetic about the war in Iraq and it looks like he is fixing and spoiling for a fight with uh, Iran. But uh, my attention was drawn to an article in the Mail on Sunday, last Sunday, by the columnist Peter Hitchens. Now you and I have some issues with Peter Hitchens in terms of his, his views on drugs and the drug war. He is very vehemently uh, pro the war on drugs um, and are very much against the legalisation and decriminalising of, of drugs, but then that, that's another issue. But on, on the, the, the issue of uh, overseas intervention, he's usually pretty good and he drew attention to an article in which John Bolton uh, was seemingly putting pressure on the OPCW that's the Organisation for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons which is not an independent body, it is heavily funded by the American government uh, among others so John Bolton put pressure on them to come up with the evidence that Bashar al-Assad had in fact used sarin gas against his own people in Syria. The OPCW uh, could find no conclusive evidence that that was the case. That wasn't good enough for John Bolton and he apparently and allegedly put pressure on them to you know come up with some uh, and when the head of the OPCW resigned um. John Bolton is alleged to, alleged to have said to him, um, "You, we know where you we know where you live. We know where your sons live. We know you have a son here in America. You know you you can be got at, basically, is, uh, is what he's alleged to say." Now, John uh, Bolton, uh, I stress, denies these allegations, but it's something that I could readily believe. He's, he he certainly has made no bones about the fact that he believes in an interventionist policy and he's certainly made no secret of the fact that he he wants regime change in Iran and he's prepared to go to war to do it. Anthony?
2: Yeah, there's so much that we could unpack here. One thing is, John Bolton has gone on TV and when pressed about why America has you know whatever 130 150 countries that they've got military bases in um said oh you know make no mistake we're we're not there for them we're there for us so he's very much uh, he believes or at least i yeah he really believes that america should be the policeman of the world the world empire yeah um, whether he thinks that's a force for good in the world, or he doesn't care whether it's a mm. force for good in the world or not, because the main thing is that America's top dog. I don't know. If so, I fear. Well, it seems evident that what he thinks is in America's national interest is far from in America's national interest. The term mm. blowback for being yeah. forgetting attacked. Uh, in response to your foreign interventions wasn't dreamed up by lefties who were against American foreign policy. It was coined by the CIA, and they admitted that there was a blowback effect. Not only that, but they did say there is likely to be a blowback effect from this, that, and the other. So that's well-established, well-known, and really it doesn't take much to prove it. You know, if the neighbour came round your house and smacked one of your kids, um, you'd probably want to do something back to them. It's
1: just well, you. yeah. I mean, how dare they, for a start, smack one of my kids? That's my job to smack <laughs> <Yeah>. my kids.
2: <laughs> As goes the old joke, but yeah, yeah, I mean, it would it would definitely piss you off. So it's not yeah. you should be under no um, illusions that our uh, foreign meddling is likely to create more hostility towards us. To get more specific on the issue, um, what is the... I think it was something about the... They said that they found these two cylinders in Syria, yeah. and it was very, very tenuous. I mean, I'm not... I tried to read some articles on it, but I, I found... It, I found them hard to ingest because the there was a lot of facts and the evidence just seemed so... uh, They were just a roundabout way of saying, when you look at what they're trumping up, uh, Mm -hmm. it's pretty ridiculous. And that was my main takeaway from reading those articles. But what is the malfunction of people like John Bolton if he would go to an agency and tell them to find something? I mean, I definitely think this was done in the run-up to the Iraq war. It was like, create a dossier that we can use to sell the war. You know, that's what they were saying. They weren't saying, create some impartial document. They were saying, you know, we want to do this. We may, uh, to be charitable to them, they would say, we think it's in the national interest. To be uncharitable to them, who cares what the national interest is, we want to do it. But what is the major malfunction of these people that they don't care about the evidence? They just want, they just want evidence to be created to sell the war. What's behind this mentality?
1: Well, I think certainly in the case of Iran, there's there's really old scores to be settled. America and especially conservatives are still smarting from the humiliation of losing their man, so to speak, uh, Shahpalava. Uh, in the Iranian Revolution, when the Ayatollah took over, I think the Americans thought they would manage to get rid of him quickly uh, and re-establish their foothold in Iran. That didn't happen. Uh, when the Iranian, uh, when the embassy uh, was taken over in Tehran, and uh, American hostages were taken, again America was humiliated. Uh, certainly. Um, Jimmy Carter looked very weak. Looked weak, at least uh, in that exchange, Uh, and there was an abortive attempt to rescue, uh, abortive attempt at a rescue mission uh, that went, yeah, comically and ludicrously wrong, Uh, and that. So America really has still has had had this. They've been nursing this beef against Iran for a long time. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, it's worth mentioning. Iran is, and by all accounts, quite a horrible and repressive regime. Um, it does look as if there's some evidence that there are certain um, elements within the Iranian uh, establishment who would like to gain control of the Muslim holy sites from the Sunnis. You know, they've, they've, they've toyed with the idea of invading Saudi Arabia. And, and getting back uh, Medina and Mecca out of the hands of the of the Sunnis and back into sh- and and, and into Shia hands. Uh, so there is a lot of saber, saber rattlers there. But I think predominantly by all accounts from what I hear from people who've travelled in Iran, uh Westerners that have travelled around, the people themselves are not particularly anti Western. You know, the regime is. And I don't think that you can win people's hearts and minds by bombing them, and regardless of how clinical you think your war's going to be against Iran, you're going to kill a lot of innocent people. So, and this is, I mean, th- it's not just John Bolton, remember, uh, Trump's surrounded by some, some hopes, uh, Pompeo know. is also of this mindset as well. I don't know, I can't get to the bottom of exactly what Trump, I mean, he when, he when he got in there, before he even got into power, he was promising that there'd be no more foreign interventions. And I know, get it's talking. Out. Yeah, and now he seems to be succumbing. I mean, I don't know whether, uh, Trump is alleged to have said to Bolton and Pompeo and people like this, bring me the evidence. Now, whether he meant actually bring me proper evidence or whether he meant, just get me ever. I don't care what it is. Get me it, and uh you know and we, and we'll go for it as long as it's convinced them. It's, you know, they're, they're 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 trying to they're they're constantly trying to pin things on Iran recently, Iran is accused of shooting down an American drone um which could be construed as an act of war. It certainly would be for anybody like uh John Bolton who's keen to go to war with it anyway um They've escalated the amount of troops in that area. The Americans have sent a carrier down there, and they've sent 2,000 more troops. So it looks like they're preparing for something. They're now accusing Iran. You'll be aware that uh, in the last couple of weeks, some oil tankers were alleged to have been attacked in the Gulf, and I think it's the Gulf of Oman, but I'm not sure. The uh, the Americans are accusing the Iranians of doing this and having uh, used mines to blow holes in these uh, oil tankers. However, the Japanese owners of the oil tankers have commented and said that the damage that has been inflicted on the tankers is completely inconsistent with that kind of attack. Um, so that so they're not buying that this Iran that's responsible. Certainly, Iran is involved with and does sponsor certain groups in that part of the world who are uh, violent and they are terrorists and they are involved in conflicts with already with Saudi Arabia. Uh, there's, there's groups in Yemen who have been funded by Iran. Hezbollah, as we know, is funded by Iran. But this is... And, and of course, let's not completely rule out Israel's role in this in terms of Um, Israel sees Iran as a major threat to its existence, whether that's right or wrong, is a matter for other people to decide. Um, They at least live on the doorstep, it's their neighbourhood, but Israel, as usual, wants to rely on American support, and I think they would like to get America involved in any, uh, as they see it, neutralising Iran. So it's it's turning into what I would call an extremely volatile and potentially dangerous, lethal situation over there.
2: Well, it's not just you think that Israel uh, would like America to get uh, involved in Iran. Uh, Obviously, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, while Obama was in office, went to America and Hmm. delivered a speech to the Senate or congress i can't remember which house it was now
1: some bunch of guys yeah, some bunch of old white men <laughs> yeah
2: urging them <laughs> urging them for military intervention in iran didn't even go to obama didn't even go to the president went that's sp- right and that yeah. was uh that was pretty shocking so you said one thing that the regime in iran yeah. is uh anti-american or anti-western even though the people aren't but they've got They've had good provocation, unfortunately, to be anti-Western because of all the noises that America has been making. Yeah. I mean,
1: well, let's, let's, the, yeah, the... let's even just let's even just go back to the fact that America destabilized and, uh, and basically overthrew a democratically elected government in Iran to 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 put uh, to give more power to Shah. Uh, and that probably what directly caused the Iranian revolution and for the religious bureaucrats to to, to get into power.
2: So uh, there it's conceivable that Iran was and would be a much more contemporary kind of country um if not for western intervention it could be conceivable see they'd have a liberal democracy uh for all its flaws it's probably better a better system than the one they have in Iran. And, um, you know, under the Bush years, Cheney and Rumsfeld and the other neocons would have loved to score a hat trick and deport yeah. the regime in Iran. The only thing is, after the evident failures throughout their career of the two wars they'd already launched, they could not find the political uh, will to launch a third war against iran if there hadn't been anti-war protests perhaps they would have gone to iran we know that basically uh, along with saudi arabia and israel those three countries factions in those three countries have been urging for conflict there so they've got good reasonable cause in that regime the anti-western so uh, i don't like anyone being anti-western But you have to admit that the shots were fired from this side first, and that's probably why, you know, I'm against these war... An an extra, apart from obviously the obvious killing of innocents and so forth, and we shouldn't really be interfering, from a self-interested point of view, you know, I don't want them bombing Syria, creating all these refugees and then all these refugees come to Europe, some of which may have suffered from those bombings so great that they're going to want to take revenge on Europeans. That means us. And yeah. uh, and on and on with the other conflicts, you know, just out of self-interest, we shouldn't be poking these hornets' nests, to use the cliche.
1: Yeah, so the the question arises, uh I was going to say it begs the question, but I know that you hate people using that out with the context of the debate. Yeah. Um, it, it provokes the question, who benefits? What's the, you know, what, what's behind this Sabre Rattlin? You know, but you would think it was demonstrable that this nation building uh, project was a dramatic failure. Uh, I mean, I don't know how anybody can point to Libya or um, Iraq and say, well look you know we've brought democracy to these countries it's been uh it's been it's been worth all the pain i don't know how anybody can do that but they do and they continue to go ahead and continue to want more war considering the debt that america's in already and and not least of all it may actually drag britain along with it into this conflict i mean we already bombed syria uh, in coalition with the United States and France for no good reason that I could, could find, you know, the, the, on suspicion, basically, that, uh, that Bashar al-Assad had bombed his own people with chemicals. Now, even if he had, even if it was conclusive that he'd used chemical weapons against his own people, I don't want to sound cold, But what Bashar al-Azad does within the confines of his own borders is a matter for him and his people and the people who oppose him within that country. I don't see that it's really any of our business. Um, But, I don't know, is there a case for humanitarian intervention, if you could call it that?
2: Perhaps if we had a record of success, you could make a case for it. Given we've no no record of success, I don't think you can. I do believe in third-party self-defense. So if I see you being attacked, I'm allowed to jump in to the fray and defend you or anyone. However, we're not, you know, that's, you can't do that. It's not, you would have to say anyone here who wants to pick up a gun and go and fight can go and fight. Because we don't want to use the tax system to force people at gunpoint to f- pay for these dreadful wars. Now yeah. uh, could it be that, as George Orwell said in 1984, the purpose of war the war he said, the purpose of war is the destruction of human labor without a hierarchical society, without which a hierarchical society cannot continue to exist? And that the war is really never meant to end, because what, for one thing, um, it creates huge amounts of money for uh, arms and munition companies yeah. and the construction companies like Halliburton that are sent in to reconstruct yeah. the company afterwards. But not only that, it gives people focus on an external enemy and distracts them from stuff that's going on at home that may yeah. be corrupt. Not only that, but Anthony Sutton, a re- researcher now um, deceased, did a series of books in which he exposed the fact that the Soviet empire was basically built up using Western technology. All these companies from uh, America and Europe sold the Soviets tons of technology which they could, which they could use to build up their uh, country and they couldn't invent for themselves. Not only that, they bailed them out of starvation a few times with with food aid. Now, the only conclusion that Anthony Sutton could draw, why did America empower its own enemy for so long, was that they wanted captive markets, I don't know if this is true or not, and that if the Soviet Union had modernized, then and become capitalist, then there really would be a contender on the world stage for America's place of power. Could that be, is there, are there, could there be factions that don't want places like the Middle East to become contemporary modern societies because they fear competition from abroad and they're the captive markets of their crony capitalists and the re- revolving door between government and industry? I don't know.
1: It's 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 perfectly possible. I mean, I I I believe that the you know that these intrigues do uh, do con- do continue. Uh, I think, it's, having visited uh, Democratic Republic of Congo briefly uh, about ten years back, I know that that's a country, a huge country with massive mineral wealth, um, completely self sufficient in anything that it needs. And if it had a stable uh regime, if it had a stable free market regime in power, it could be another India or another China within a matter of ten years and there could be elements in the West who don't want that because they 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 really fear um the results of that for. Uh, Western markets, um, but I, I, again, that I don't have any proof for that. It is just something I suspect, and something that just seems to make sense uh, to me that they, we, we we don't want these countries to to develop into powerhouses, and there's there's every possibility that that could happen with Iran. I mean, let's for, while we're on the, the, the subject of of, of you know, regimes and the uh, reprehensible regimes. I, I don't see, as bad as the Iranian regime is, I don't see it as being any worse than the Saudi uh, regime. I would suggest that
2: the Saudi Arabian regime is significantly worse yeah. than the Iranian one.
1: Well, and it's an absolute monarchy uh, and a theocracy.
2: And they throw gays off buildings and they do uh, their treatment of women is horrendous. Um, you know, they. I think they have the death sentence for apostasy, and they uh, I mean, anyone can Google. Yes, they them. do.
1: They do. So, yeah, they, so it's far more. They put repre- to death a thirteen-year-old boy for converting to Christianity.
2: So they're so they're far more repressive than Iran is, and we consider them our allies. I'd like to come back to Saudi Arabia shortly because there's actually some good news on Saudi Arabia. One person, one group that benefits from regime change potentially in Iran is, surprisingly, Al-Qaeda, as uh, argued by Robert Gaines and Scott Horton uh, in this article entitled Attacking Iran Would Unleash Chaos on the Middle East on the website nationalinterest.org. They say, undetermined by decades of carnage and the de- disastrous outcomes of prior conflicts, ideologues within the Trump administration are clamoring for military action against Iran. The exact basis for this escalation varies. And uh, the, the, in spite of Iranian compliance with the Non-Proliferation Treaty, Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, the Iran nuclear deal, and their safeguards agreements with the IAEA, other pro-intervention voices decry Iran's alleged sponsorship of terrorist organisations or cite a general concern for US interests in the region as a pretext for action. Now, I was just trying to get to the relevant section in which uh, basically Iran are Shia Muslims and Mm -hmm. Those are the enemies of Al-Qaeda. Do you know what type of Muslims Al-Qaeda are?
1: Are they, are they Alawites? Or are they... Um, it's a specific Saudi brand of uh Is it Wahhabi? Or is it...? I, I, I'm not sure whether they're Wahhabi they're. or Alawite. I think, yeah, I think they're Wahhabi, yeah.
2: Um, I know that they make
1: excellent. They make excellent bar snacks,
2: <laughs> right? Uh, I think Wahhabi is the Saudi Arabian regime, which, by the way, opens schools to teach that militant form of Islam all over the Middle yeah. You know, yeah. So, so um, one of the interesting things is, I believe that the that Iran supported, in fact the foremost adversary of Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan, the the confederation of warlords known as the Northern Alliance. In September, after September 11, 2001, the Iranian government handed photocopies of 300 passports associated with suspected Al-Qaeda members to the United Nations. Of these 300, many would be forcibly deported back to Saudi Arabia and other Arab countries, In addition to, in an additional gesture of goodwill, the Iranian regime offered to provide search and rescue support, humanitarian relief, and targeting assistance in the fight against the Taliban and al-Qaeda to then Deputy Secretary of State for Near East Affairs Ryan Crocker. America was initially receptive, accepting Iranian assistance in the Bonn confederate conference that oversaw the creation of the post-Taliban Afghan government, Special Envoy James Dobbins would later state that the Iranians were, in inverted commas, comprehensively helpful in the post-9-11 period. Despite being rebuffed, we should add, uh, by George W. Bush's axis of evil speech, the Iranians nevertheless doubled down on their commitment to positive bilateral relations with the United States. These are facts that we didn't necessarily know that Iran actually helped America in the beginnings of the war on terror, well, we, uh, as they euphemistically yeah. named it. Uh, in a memorandum personally endorsed by Ayatollah Khomeini and delivered with the aid of Swiss diplomat Tim Goodman, the Iranian government offered to assist the United States in targeting Al-Qaeda, submit to full transparency in its nuclear energy program, cease support for Palestinian groups, pressure Hezbollah into transitioning into a purely political organization and recognize the two-state concept for Israel-Palestine put forth by the Arab League Beirut Summit. Though false attribution of the Al-Qaeda, Qaeda attack in Raideh to Tehran, Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld were able to dissuade President Bush from additional talks with Iran. Do you want more? Uh, oh, this, yes, bit, please. this bit concerns Bolton. The Undersecretary of State of, for Arms Control, John Bolton, successfully lobbied for the removal of the-
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, I just-, I just the, the Undersecretary for State for Arms Control.
2: You will laugh, don't you? It's very Orwellian. He lobbied for the removal of the Swiss intermediary Guldemann, further reducing the hope for future talks. In spite of these setbacks, Iran maintained its opposition to al-Qaeda. From the cache of documents removed from the Abbottabad residence of al Qaeda's slain leader Osama bin Laden, it's known through translated correspondence that many members of the terrorist group who attempted to flee into Iran after the United States invaded Afghanistan were arrested by Iranian military intelligence services. By April of 2003, Iranian forces had captured a high number, a number of high-profile Al Qaeda members, like the architects of the 1998 Kenya and Tanzania embassy bombings. Tanzania, Tanzania, like some names. Uh, some names of the people that they arrested follow. You can get this whole uh, article on nationalinterest.org. So, okay, a lot of facts that we didn't know, at least I didn't know, about the uh, Iranian, Iran's shows of goodwill towards mm-hmm. the, the project of reducing terror early in the war on terror, and more evidence that uh, we really are Alienating nations that we should be um, working with. I mean, I'm always reminded by the story that uh, Julius Caesar went in on his invasions in Africa and would go to a village and kill everyone in the village and stack the bodies high, and then go around the chiefs of the neighboring villages and say, "Come here and look at this." And when they saw the carnage, they were like, "Okay, do what you want, take over." He was. Supposed, he was succeeded by Augustus Caesar, who gave rise to the turn of phrase, let's make peace our war, it is said. And he learned. He took Caesar's example, went to Africa and sent a bunch of engineers to build an aqueduct and sewers in a village. And then went around the neighboring chiefs and said, come here and see this took them to see the aqueduct and the sewers, and they're like, okay, take over, do whatever you want. Same reaction, but different means. And I'm wondering if our nations, since we have nations, should actually be talking to these countries about sharing technology, opening up trade, and how we can cooperate. Because as Bastiat put it, when goods don't cross borders, troops soon surely shall.
1: Yeah, go ahead. I, I couldn't agree more. You know, we should, you know, we should be, companies in the UK should be free to trade with Iran. And that would be the best way to, in the long term, I think, get the regime change. But it's just, I find it absolutely staggering that, that John Bolton was the Secretary, Under Secretary of State for Arms Control. It's a bit like making Al Capone Secretary of State for Prohibition. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <It's very funny. laughs> so... Um, <laughs>
2: Carry yeah. on. Uh, do, do you want to say a little bit more about Iran or Bolton?
1: Um, I just, it still baffles me why, I mean I was shocked at the time when he was appointed as National Security Advisor because it seemed to fly in the face of everything that Trump had said on previously.
2: The he, on the
1: campaign trail. On the campaign yeah. trail,
2: campaigned on a policy of reducing our foreign entanglements.
1: So this, again, provokes a question, how much power does the President actually have? Is this pushback, is there a constant battle between the Presidency and the deep state, whether it's the CIA, NSA, um, the military-industrial complex? Or is Trump just, is he a straw man?
2: I don't know. And the thing is, you have to ask why did he appoint these people? I mean, some Did he have are, a choice? Those who said, oh, Trump's really smart. He's playing 4D chess. They said, well, you know, maybe he's just appointing Bolton as an to scare the shit out of foreign countries so that right. they're compliant. But I just don't I don't actually believe that Trump is that savvy in those ways. I don't agree with those people who say that Trump is stupid. I think he's very savvy, but not,
1: yeah. that. He's not, not in a geopolitical sense, though. No,
2: he's not a deep thinking person. He's not a person that exposes himself to lots of information. Uh, the, the story goes with Trump.
1: Although there are rumours he exposes himself.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right, indeed. Well said. Uh, the, the story goes regarding him recognising Israel as the capital, sorry,
1: Jerusalem. No, sorry, Jerusalem, The capital, yeah.
2: Yeah, Jerusalem is the capital of Israel was, he just said, basically, I don't know anything about this, uh, right, come on and brief me. Uh, got a 30, 45 minute brief on the situation, and went, okay, let's make it. Let's, make, let's acknowledge it as the capital. And that was that. So, uh, so the, the official story goes, so he's not, but he's maybe taking advice from the wrong people, but even so, he's put his finger up. So... Thing.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. But, but Donald Trump said just grab women by the... By you know. the
2: pussy. But... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but but I mean, he's uh, snubbed so many people so many times. Can he not get on TV and say, these are the people who are pushing us to war. I said that I wasn't going to do this as president and I need your support, whether you're, you know, my political enemies on the left on other issues or whether you're my, um, you're, you're the, the people who voted for me to whether you're for me or against mm. me as a person if you don't want war uh, i need your support because the deep state that i campaigned against wants war and that's not what i said i was going to do
1: maybe he just doesn't want to go for a ride down sniper alley in an open top car with a with a bullseye painted on his forehead
2: yes <laughs> per, per, perhaps um Perhaps he wouldn't get to make that conference because as soon as someone got wind of it, something unfortunate would happen. And in the current fit configuration, there's a lot of people who wouldn't mind too much either if he did get shot.
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean he's a trigger happy tweeter though. So you would think, you know, he would he would maybe tweet something out about you know about this kind of thing if he found it.
2: What? Something like Lol Bolton wants to launch another field war. <laughs> <laughs> Total loser. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he do, I mean, he he does. It does look like Ned Flanders has taken over the the, the national security advisor job. He's a he's a ringer for Ned Flanders. Um,
2: Total loser. Never should have appointed him.
1: <laughs> yeah. That, if you want, if you want to see what blowback looks like, I think that would probably be uh, the very way to go about it. But in all seriousness, I mean it, it does make you ask these questions, you know, just how how much in control, how much power does the president actually have? Is he merely there as an employee of certain powerful forces that are really in control of the destiny of, of America? I, I I don't know. I mean he certainly he campaigned as this independent maverick who's gonna drain the swamp and but it's like everything else, maybe once he got into the office, the magnitude of the problem that he was up against has maybe uh has maybe given him a reality check. Uh-huh. I really don't know. He's a he's a hard guy to get a handle on.
2: I just don't understand why there's more there's not more mainstream criticism of him for not doing what he said he was going to do on this issue. It's funny how the liberal media isn't crawling all over him saying, you know, Trump said he was a non-interventionist. Yeah, whatever. Okay, so maybe maybe he's picking his battles. Uh, that would be the most charitable thing to say, but if he is, he's perhaps picking the wrong ones. It would be nice if he didn't pick the battles that involved bombs being dropped on lots of people.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And uh, if you uh, if you're out there listening and you have any opinions on this, please let us know. Um,
2: Swing yeah, okay. over to Saudi Arabia. Interesting. Yeah. The Senate turned out something good for a change. Senate rebukes Trump with vote to block arms sales to Saudi Arabia. This is Marianne Levine on politico.com and it was released on the 20th, is that today? Yes, it was. Breaking news. The Senate voted to block arms sales to Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates on Thursday, rebuking President Donald Trump's foreign policy in the aftermath of the murder of Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Well, it's pretty freaking rich for the people Mm. in the Senate to rebuke Donald Trump on foreign policy. Trump, whose administration signalled it would bypass congressional opposition to the sale of arms, is expected to veto the Senate's resolutions. Hello? Okay, Mm. I don't like that. The votes highlight, the votes highlights ongoing tension between Trump and members of his own party over how much power Congress should cede to the executive branch when it comes to foreign policy. As an aside, the left gave Obama a massive pass on constantly forcing the other houses to cede power to the executive branch under his tenure. They didn't say anything about it, and now they've let the door open to Donald Trump, who's inherited all those powers and looks like he's going to expand them. So. There's details about the vote. You can find the story, um, and it's interesting. Again, in like, I mean, I kind of expected it when Trump first bombed Saudi Arabia. I wasn't that surprised. But see, when he signed the weapons deal to Saudi Arabia, and I found out about that on Facebook. Not
1: not bombed Saudi Arabia. So he said when he first bombed. Sorry, when
2: he first signed the weapon deal to yeah. Saudi Arabia. I remember the day I found that news out on Facebook. I was actually devastated for a wee while. I don't know why, but I was like, oh, because I saw that this was the first, um, real. I don't know, it wasn't the first, but it was the real indication that nothing changes. There's no swamp being drained. It's worth yeah. adding that he signed off on the biggest budget, didn't he? so the biggest ever budget, after saying he was going to s- cut spending and stuff like that, and he said, I really don't want to sign this, I'm never going to do it again, but isn't that just a trick that people can play? Oh, well, I didn't want to do this, but they twisted my arm. Like, yeah. do you know what I mean?
1: I, mean I don't know. I mean, they possibly did twist his arm, you know, uh, to do it. I, I, I really don't know. I mean, he's up against some powerful forces. Okay, well, um,
2: even if they did... Um, I just think that he's enough of a public figure that, and he's done enough that he could maybe use his swagger more productively.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, we've only got five minutes to go. I just wanted to ask you a couple of things. Have you heard any more on the Julian Assange? Uh, That's another thing that seems to be blanket- uh, just a blackout on any news whatsoever. Uh, The last I heard, uh, his lawyer had made serious claims that he was basically being uh, denied medical treatment and starved to death in custody, Uh, and he was uh, really concerned for Julian Assange's health. And this is another place where Trump kind of backtracked because he was making kind of libertarian noises about the right of people like Julian Assange to uh, to blow the whistle, and now it looks like um, he's, he's flip-flopped on that one as well.
2: Yeah, I've heard little on Assange, and the thing is, one of the ways that they might get him off, if they can, is that at some point Trump made some kind of statement as to traitors, you know, being executed and things like that, and they could say, well, you're not actually allowed to extradite someone to a country where they're facing a death sentence. Those might not be the specific details. But there was a journalist, sadly, I forget her name, that went to visit him a few times uh, and reported that he was being, even prior to his most recent arrest, and um, reported that he was being horrendously treated. And it was... Mm -hmm bad for her to see the degradation in his state of mental health from the first time she met him to years hence when she met him in the future. Yeah. The thing is, you know, we're meant to have, at least in theory, a government of laws, not people. And if you, the the more responsibility a person has, the more accountable they should be to having the highest standards, right? Yeah. Uh, of because they're because they've got more authority they've got more power now the state is the institution with a monopoly over the use of force and the most authority the most responsibility and therefore should be in an ideal world leading the example for its pe- people by the highest standards of ethical conduct. It's more yeah. important
1: transparency than, and accountability. Transparency
2: and accountability. It's more important than the, that the state follows the law than yeah. that the individual follows the law. As Ayn Rand put it in one of her essays, a private individual should be allowed to do anything except that which the law prohibits. Whereas yeah. a public official should only be able to do that which the law allows, and does yeah. not have it. So, the thing is, we've got this topsy-turvy world where the government spies on us, wants all our details, tells us what's to do, and arrests us if we do something it doesn't like, um, even if it's just smoking a plant, let's say. Whereas, okay. it's allowed to hide its own dealings from us, and if anyone dares expose it, they're apparently the traitor.
1: So yeah,
2: I'm not happy so, with that configuration.
1: Yeah. But i to get onto something a little bit more like I quickly, because we've only got a couple of minutes left. I believe, Mr Samarov, you've got a new book out. Oh,
2: do I? Yeah, so I do. The paperback of Universal Basic Income For and Against is available. It was available for Kindle for quite a while, but it is revised. And I'm very happy with the revisions. Um,
1: And where could somebody buy a copy of that book?
2: You can get it on Amazon. And it's very, very reasonably priced too. So you can buy an extra copy for your libertarian curious friend or your lefty friend or your UBI curious friend. And I suggest you do that and uh, give it to them. And if they don't accept the gift, whack them over the head with it.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, that's us uh, for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you enjoyed it, let us know. And please do tune again, tune in again same time next week to hear from myself, Tom Laird, and
2: Anthony Samroff on KA
1: Radio. Uh, on KA Radio, no less. Thanks once again for tuning in, and uh, we'll speak to you again soon on the Scottish Liberty Broadcast.